The objective, to deliver the NBA to you like no other. News, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. S here. No Lauren this week, but I promise. I promise you she will be back soon. Uh, Instead, we have an illustrious guest, a man that I'm a big fan of when it comes to the basketball media world. He does some some great, great work over at Dime. He, He does some great stuff at SB Nation, among other places. He just had an excellent feature on Quentin Grimes. This is the man, the myth, the legend, the anti imperialist Jackson Frank. Jackson, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. That's a that's a an esteemed uh, intro. I appreciate it. But yeah, I'm hey man, to talk some some West. You know, we've got a little bit of clarity in the East now. We're about <laughs> half week to go. The West feels still pretty dang jumbled. So I'm excited to try. And it make does. Sense yeah. of this mess as much as we can. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And jumbled is like the way to describe this Western <laughs> Conference. It just feels like it's been that way forever. I mean, it really does feel that way. Um, the top four is almost cemented. I mean, there are chances that Memphis can maybe catch up or, or Sacramento can kind of leapfrog Memphis, but but it, it's very, very unlikely. Um, so, so it's pretty much deadlocked that it's going to be Denver, Memphis, Sacramento, and Phoenix as the top four in the Western Conference. Um, and I kind of want to use that as the guiding hand going through for this podcast, because other than that, to be honest with you, it's a bit of a shit show, uh, and and it can it can be decided over these next couple of days where the bottom half of the West kind of lies. I want to start at the top with the Nuggets. They've been the best team in the conference all year. Jokic obviously having himself an MVP type of season. They're fully healthy now with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. back in the fold. They're deeper than they have been in the past with guys like Bruce Brown and and, and you know even Christian Brown for a little bit there. Like they they can they they can have some flexibility with their rotation now that they didn't have over the last couple of seasons. Um, in general, I feel like some people have cooled off on the Nuggets when it comes to this last month or so. Maybe it's it's them dropping off and tailing off a little bit defensively. Maybe it's just the fact that they've realized they're going to be number one in the West and they they don't care about regular season basketball anymore. But what do you think it is about this last month? Do you do you hold this last month of Nuggets basketball in any regard? Like, does it concern you in any way that they haven't been as as formidable as they've been throughout the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty sizable data point at this point. I think back to they won that game against Memphis that people kind of thought was going to cement them as number one seed. Obviously they have clinched number one seed since, but yeah. uh, I think they won that on March 3rd. So just over a month ago. And since then they're seven and eight, um, 15 games is a big enough part of the schedule that you can't just hand wave it. Especially yeah. with the fact that I know they've had some, you know, Yoke has been out for four or five games. Murray's missed some time, um, but you can't just throw it away. Um, the offense honestly hasn't been particularly good. You know, I'm looking at clean the glass right now. Um, over, over that stretch there, um, I'm on the wrong tab, my goodness. Um, I have two <laughs> different tabs open for cleaning glass because um, there's another stuff I want to talk about. But uh, over the 7 8 stretch, 25th in offense, 12th in defense. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I know Jokic missed some time, but it almost seems impossible if Jokic just played the most, the majority of those games to be that poor yeah. offensively with them. Um, so I don't really worry about the offense, but there still have been stretches during the 7 and 8, you know, downswing where the, the defense looks 
looks weird um, and poor all the year. Kind of the 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 swing skill feels like for their for their defenses, those backs out of rotations. If they're going to play you just a level, um, it's you know it's MPJ tagging at the right time. It's Gordon. Can you play that weak side roamer if he's not going to be the point of attack guy? Mm-hmm. What can Christian Brown do when he's a low man? You know what can Bruce Brown do around screens up top? So um, that's what I'm, I'm most looking at. So. I feel less confident in Denver than I did a month ago, for sure, where I, where I felt pretty dang good about their chances of, of kind of being the team that come out of the West. They, I don't, I don't want to spoil things for later, but um, fortunately for them, like the West, that no one else has really emerged as like. I know Memphis has been playing better as of late, but they'll still have their own. They have their own questions that we'll address shortly. So, um, yeah, for, for me, I just I think like part of it too is Jokic you know, has a tendency to sometimes like over, like overpass, I think, you know, a little bit. That Mm -hmm. was definitely a problem earlier in his career. I mean, like when he was an all-star rather than, you know, an MVP candidate uh, or an MVP winner, but I don't worry a lot about that because I think he's been pretty good about alleviating that in the playoffs. Um, So yeah, for me, like, I know that they've not been great lately, um, but all I'm looking for is those back to the rotations defensively. And then kind of what can they do at the point of attack, which hasn't necessarily been a huge issue as of late. So um, that's my biggest question all the time with Denver. Yeah. Um, Because I just trust the offense enough. They've got enough shooting, cutting. Jokic can average, you know, in in a series, you know, 32 points on 65% true shooting, something ridiculous. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I don't really worry. I think he's still leading the league in true shooting, which is ridiculous for a high usage player like that. So, yeah, it's like almost 70, I think, or something along the lines of that. Last time I checked. Something you'd see from like, you know, like a Robert Williams or a Mitchell right. Robinson, someone that, you know, gets a lot of plays handed to them and is a great dunker and lob threat, but not a guy who happens to maybe be the best offensive player in basketball. Yeah. And and to me, that that like what you mentioned, what they're gonna look like defensively, it all really does have to do with matchup. So if they're playing a team where drop is not possible, like let's say the Golden State Warriors or the Phoenix Suns, right? where they're not able to to keep him a little bit lower or they have to show higher. And now, like you said, that backside rim protection, I, I'm curious to see what is what what kind of matchup is the least and most favorable for them. Right now in the first round, if they end up facing whoever we're looking at, it's probably going to be one of the Lakers, the Pelicans, the Timberwolves, the Thunder, the Mavs. But really, that doesn't, that doesn't narrow things down for us. Uh, I mean, there, there's a bunch of options there. But from the teams that they have the potential of facing, who do you think is their most favorable matchup in the first round? And and who do you think is their least favorable matchup? And maybe even moving forward, just in general for the playoffs, because they are the one seed, what are the teams that you, uh, if you're Denver, you don't want to face or you, you, you feel like would be a danger to face? Yeah, so I think most favorable right now, you know, the Thunder is still holding that 10 seed by virtue of the tiebreaker over the Mavs, you know, as we're right. recording both 38 and 42 on Thursday. Um, just because you know they're undersized, they love to pack the paint defensively. That's kind of their MO: is load up the paint, and you just kind of bank on being able to recover to shooters. Um, Jokic doesn't really allow for that. Like his his processing time, processing speed is incredible, and because they're so undersized, they're gonna have to send doubles. That's gonna leave guys like MPJ, KCP. Um, I'm trying to think maybe of a third uh, third acronym there, but I couldn't think of one for the Nuggets. Um, <laughs> Bruce Brown, Jamal Murray, those guys open, and if they go single coverage, you know he's gonna get the likes of. Jalen Williams, um, either one. I mean, they go small, I think, against the the Warriors on Tuesday. They closed with Santa Clara, Jalen Williams. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the Warriors broadcast was going uh, Arkansas, Jalen Williams, and Broncos, Jalen Williams. I thought that was a funny <laughs> distinction. But I guess you go J-Will versus J-Dub. J-Will, J-Dub, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
makes it easy to write down. It doesn't really help you when you're talking about it. But yeah, uh, they'll close with you know either one of those guys. Um, I know that a lot of times they've played Jer- Jeremiah Robinson Earl at times. I, he might be injured right now. I shouldn't be up to date on that. But regardless of what his injury is status, um, he's also undersized center. So I, I just don't love that. And then the fact that they don't have a true role threat for Shea. Shea is incredible. I wouldn't be surprised to see Shea have a great series against them in a hypothetical playoff matchup. But the lack of a, a true role threat to put pressure on the backside or make them focus on anything but Shea in a pick and roll right. um, or, or a Giddy or, or a J-Dub. Um, just kind of, I think Denver would be pretty comfortable again, again in defensively in that matchup. So that's the one I think makes the most sense for them. Obviously, it coincides with that being the 10 slash 11 seed. Um, but I think even schematically, it helps them. And then uh, on the flip side, it's going to be the same thing where I think you know the Lakers are, are the least good matchup for them. Partly because I think the Lakers are better than a 7 seed the way they've played since the trade line, even with in, in, since Braun came back and O'Bron's been up and down. Um, you know, was pretty was very good against the Clippers uh, and the Jazz, for that matter, on back to back. That's encouraging yep. if you're your Lakers uh, proponent or fan, whatever it is. Um, but I think I, I think back to that that game that the Sixers won uh, a few months ago when kind of the, the big flip was them coming out of the second half and putting PJ Tucker on uh, on Jokic and having them beat Rum off of Aaron Gordon. And the Lakers could pretty much do a similar thing, right, with putting Jared Vanderbilt on uh on Jokic and then having AD room off of Aaron Gordon mm-hmm. I would argue that AD is even better equipped for that role because he's a little rangier he's not, he's not necessarily the, the same level of rim deterrent I think he's an incredible rim, rim protector but I don't know if it's the rim deterrence is the same as Embiid but he's probably even better covering ground I would say definitely a better covering ground than Embiid so that would worry me at the same time I would wonder like how much can the Lakers afford to play Jared Vanderbilt right played him kind of in that 20 to 25 minute range they don't close a lot of games when they like to go with more of a floor space or another ball handler a lot so that would be something I worry about in the fourth quarter but um I, I just think that plus the lack of like a really really like top tier wing defender I think AG is really good but he's also in a tough spot where they kind of need him to play both point of attack and backline help I know MPJ is gotten a lot better that last couple of years um, when he's been healthy but um you still need kind of two of those guys i think especially with like you need two more protectors obviously you could just not fear that so um that's where i worry but yeah again it's also the talent level the lakers have quite a few different guys who can create their shot from the perimeter they're pretty big now on on the front line and mobile you know you think about guys like you know the the two i mentioned lebron obviously rui hachimura i don't think it's particularly good defensively but I think if you're looking for ways for him to offer value on that end, the, the game against the Wolves is really interesting. He gave Cat some issues, forced him farther out on his touches and his catches. So, um, And then he threw on a guy like Troy Brown Jr. is more of a wing, but he's shooting the ball confidently from three. Uh, good hands, decent connective passer. So um, I think that's a, that's a team that is, you know, like the, the way they're constructed now is kind of the quality of a three or a four seed, maybe even higher than that. Mm-hmm. And that's not a team you'd want to face in the first round if, you, if you're any sort of right. team. So. That's kind of where I lean among those those four play and options at the moment. Yeah, fair enough. I, I I'm really interested to see uh, if even even past the first round because I, I'm not sure. And like to your point, I think the Lakers are better than a seven seed right now, and I imagine because of that they will win that playing game, even if they are in the play in and stay at seven at the very least. Um, when it comes to the Nuggets. I'm I'm curious, and I think this it's really comes down to this for me. It's Phoenix and Golden State, um, and maybe maybe that's that's being too, uh, I guess, pessimistic about the Nuggets and and how they might look defensively against the Warriors or against a you know a mid range shooting team like the Suns with with Booker and and KD and Chris Paul kind of in the fold. 
Am I right to be concerned about that? Do you think that the Nuggets this year have shown a little bit more versatility defensively? Because they have tried certain things, right? They have attempted to do different things in the pick and roll, but the success rate of that hasn't necessarily been the best. So I don't know. Am I am I right in in being worried when it comes yeah, to those I, matchups? I think for sure because they're not a versatile defensive team. I think that's that's kind of been. And maybe like maybe it days back farther than you know when I first started really really intently following the NBA about four or five years ago. Obviously, I had followed beforehand, but not to the degree that I do now. And yeah. my analysis reflected that for sure. <laughs> um, but like defensive versatility, I think it's such an important part of. Like, I think it's such a hallmark. Like people always talk about after a team makes a finals or wins a championship, like oh this is the blueprint. No, the blueprint is just to have a lot of different ways lot, to defend the yeah. team. Mm-hmm. And I think. If you're looking to be optimistic about the Denver Nuggets from a title hope perspective, it would be the opposite side, right? Where they're very versatile on offense. We tend to think about the versatility of coverage and ball screens offensively, but they're very versatile on offense. So, yeah, I think you're completely reasonable. Like, I think I think back to the, the the biggest reasons that I think the Suns lost in the second round last year was obviously Chris Paul, you know, not being the same pick-and-roll maestro self, but then also the fact that the um the Mavs did really well to take away those Chicago actions, right? That the Booker loves the, the pin downs and the dribble handoff. Dwight Powell hedged really well. They trapped. They had the, the backline rotations were good with Bullock, you know, at the, at the point of attack as well. DFS. DFS. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of how they slowed. Like they slowed those guys down. I don't see that kind of that rangy big man like a Dwight Powell on the roster. You could say Aaron Gordon is is a rangy big man, but he's even. For as small as Dwight Powell is, he's bigger than, than Aaron Gordon. He's an actual starting center. Right. Um, so th- that's where I worry about that match. And then you throw on top of it, though, okay, maybe CP does throw one. Maybe Bruce Brown, KCP, uh, Christian Brown, Aaron Gordon give him issues and wear him out. Okay, we'll just run more of the offense through Booker and, and KD. And then you're left, like, where, where, like, how can you slow KD? And I think, you know, we'll talk more about Phoenix later, but, like, this, there's not a Celtics-like defense in the West, especially this year, you know, with, with all the different guys they could throw at them, all the different hands they could put out, you know, on his gathers, on his dribbles, things like that. Yeah. Um, KD last from that first round, obviously, he struggled pretty significantly. So, um, yeah, I think that there's definitely valid reason to be concerned about their defense. And, and yeah. like I said, if you're trying to be optimistic about, okay, maybe the defense is pretty rigid, like the offense is where is where that versatility lies and kind of where they can find those multidimensional aspects. Right. Yeah. It's it's interesting, man, because the Nuggets have been, you know, again, the best team in the conference for pretty much the the whole year. And yet still, there's so many uh, little flaws that you can poke at and, and say, hey, th- this is the reason why they may not be the favorites. Th- this is the reason that they may not be the ones to come out of the conference. Um, it would be an interesting bet to make to say that the Nuggets would go ahead and, and move on here. Uh, folks, speaking of betting. Uh, the NHL, the NBA, Major League Baseball is back. Uh, so much to talk about. We're talking about it right here with Jackson. It is bananas. Play pinata picks, March Madness, all that stuff. Mitted Madness, exclusive games you can't play anywhere else. Use that QR code on your screen at the bottom of your screen there. Download it. Visit sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Okay, um, so we, we've sort of talked about the Nuggets here. And I want to shift over to the Grizzlies because they, I mean, they've looked, they've looked great and they've done so despite some injuries to their guys, despite, you know, Morant being out of the lineup. And, and obviously you can say with that what you will, but like uh, they have been very formidable regardless of who's in the lineup. Now they had a stretch there in January and February where their offense didn't look the greatest, 
Uh, and I think Steven Adams, him, him being out in the screen setting of him, you know, it really kind of stopped their half court offense a little bit, but they still do have a ton of weapons offensively. When you have Jaron Jackson Jr. who has looked like um, a more potent score, if you will, over these last couple of weeks. And obviously John Morant and Desmond Bain, you still have a lot of weapons. Do you, are there any concerns right now, uh, just off the top of your head when looking at the Grizzlies and their playoff hopes? Because Guys, like they they are the second best team in the Western Conference. I mean, they they've won 50 games. They they have a potential to win 52. That this that that's a very good record for a West Coast team. Why is it that that I I am like I'm hesitant to say that this team is hey, let's let's put them as as potentially the favorites to to get to the finals. Yeah, well, I think it's similar with, with the Nuggets, right? There's there's a there's a proof it culture around NBA analysis, right? You look in the on the East on the Eastern Conference side of things, you know, the Sixers have really good metrics. They have you know the likely MVP in, in Joel and B. They have an yeah. all-star, you know, point guard in James Harden, a great third option in Tyrese Maxey, a pretty good fourth option in Tobias Harris. And people are still skeptical of them because they've never, you know, made it past the second round, you know, with this Joel and B led team. So it's it's the same thing we do with the Bucks. It's it's what people did with the Celtics to an extent as well. Right. Um it's just kind of the way it goes. The playoffs are so different than the, the regular season that you have to feel confident and kind of can this team win in a bunch of different ways? Like, is there one thing kind of tying one t- everything together? And if mm-hmm. that gets neutralized, do they fall apart? Um, with, with the Grizzlies personally, I, as optimistic as maybe I am, generally speaking about Denver, I find myself kind of on the other side of the coin with the Grizzlies. I, I just like, I just don't think there are enough ways for them to win on either end. And I'm, and even if even if or when Stephen Adams comes back, obviously, you know, I hope it's soon. They've kind of had some weird shifted timelines. You know, I want him to be as yeah. healthy as possible. Um, but he's really important to what they do. Um, they kill you on the offensive glass. He's the best offensive rebound in the NBA. Um, he's maybe really in pitched. NBA history. Maybe <laughs> in NBA history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would lo- I would love for Ben Taylor or someone who's much more adept than yeah, me, yeah. the historical side of things, to to give us a video breakdown of the best offensive rebounder in history. Um, but yeah, obviously they're going to crush you on the offensive glass. They're going to set a lot of screens. Adam's going to do kind of the, the famous Gortot steal to help Jaw and other guys who get downhill, Tyus, yeah. even Bane at times. Um, and at the same time, I worry because Adams isn't isn't versatile defensively. You know, he's going to play drop. He's going to play a lot of deep drop. He's not mobile, um, and he doesn't really give you much in terms of like a release valve as a pick and roll partner. Um, obviously, like I said the screening itself and kind of the the secondary screening, you know, whatever is really useful. I'm not trying to diminish that, but like you do need to have, especially with the lack of space, the, 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 the Grizzlies have, you do need to have like someone who the jaw can pass you, right? Jaws had so much on his plate this year. I think part of the, that's the thing. That's part of the reason his scoring efficiency hasn't been great. Right. Um, just because a lot of times like his best, the best option for Grizzlies is like jaw, just throw something up and hopefully you can get a rebound or Steven Adams can, or goes in, try the most ridiculous acrobatic finish you can. Um, and so I just worry about that deep in the playoffs. I think back to last year where they elected not even to play Stephen Adams in the first round. Oh yeah. Um, whether that was the right decision, you know, I, I don't know. Obviously, they won the six games partly because they had some great, you know, fourth quarter and second half runs. Partly because you know, the crazy the Wolves were a team that kind of all year floundered in the clutch, and that continued to be the case in the playoffs. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I just worry about how important Stephen Adams is and some of the things he some of the important things that he puts on the table, but also at the same time takes off the table in other realms. So that, that's my big worry there. And then again, just a lack of shooting. 
I know they, they added Luke Kennard at the deadline. He's been shooting the absolute leather off the ball all season, but especially post-deadline. I think he's at like 53 or 54% in like 25 games with the Grizzlies, which seems like impossible. But again, he's <laughs> like I just worry about kind of how teams can exploit him defensively. I think I was watching a recent Grizzlies game, maybe against the Magic, and the Magic are not in the depth off the team, and they were posing some big issues you know, involving Kennard in action. So... Um, that those are some of my big issues. Like, okay, yeah, like if Baines your only high level high level floor spacer, aside from Kennard, like Kennard play a lot. Can he give you? Can you get both those guys at the court at the same time? I think Dan Devine of the Yahoo Sports tweeted out something a couple of days ago that uh, Bane Kennard lineups are just shredding opponents. So that's optimistic. Um, so if they can play together, that definitely would change my tune on them because those two really really good floor spacers, movement shooters, would open up a lot for the Jaw Adams pick and roll. You know, Jaron doing his thing as a face up scorer, mismatch scorer, but yeah, I just I just worry about kind of the lack of point of attack depth defensively and the lack of, you know, shooting. Like, they don't have horizontal or vertical spacing, you know, especially mm-hmm. without Brandon Clark for the year, unfortunately, because of his injury. So I, I just can't get to, like, beyond a second-round ceiling with them. But, you know, I probably would have said the same with Dallas last year. So funky things happen. You get the right matchup. You find a scheme to exploit, an attack to exploit, um, like, like the Mavs did last year. Um, the, the things can change, but I, ju- I just feel a little bit. I think they're just probably one player away. They kind of remind me of the Cavs, not in all ways, but just like I feel like they're one player away from really, really challenging for for the utmost echelon in the M- in the NBA these days. Yeah. Fortunately, that they're both those teams' cornerstones are young, so they have time. But yeah, just kind of one piece away. And like I said, the Adam stuff and the floor space are kind of my big hesitancies. You sort of mentioned it earlier with Denver uh, and and just like scheme versatility and just being willing and able to change things up on the fly. What up? What up, doggy? <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. We've had we've had we've had dogs and cats on this podcast. You don't have to worry at all. It's no problem. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm dogs. My mom's away this week visiting her parents, so I'm dog sitting for the week and. It's yeah, she like she likes to guard and notify when the dog walks by. There you go. There you go. <laughs> oh, this is this is a gem. This is a gem right here. <laughs> hey, Lilo. Hey, come here. Come here. Come here. Alright, I think we're good now. I think yeah, I think no, got I think, our attention. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> No, but you, right, but you talking about scheme versus Tilly. Yes, Denver. I was, I was talking about scheme versus Tilly. So no, but you, you mentioned like the, the, like the, the tools in the toolbox type of thing. And I think with Memphis right now, the issue is that two of their tools are, are not available and it requires you to play guys who you wouldn't necessarily be playing in a playoff spot. When you don't have Steven Adams, when you don't have Brennan Clark, there's okay. Is, are we trusting and relying on Santi Aldama to be able to be the guy that we can Himself, throw into a playoff he just, rotation? He just left Wednesday's game. He took a hard fall. I don't oh, know he did. Yes, injury. you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah he didn't so, play much of the second, much of the game. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, no, 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 you're right. I actually for, forgot to mention that. So there's, there's this level of questions of like depth and, and how deep can this team really be in the playoffs? What are the tools they can go for? in the playoffs that can, you know, look different versus different teams. Uh, I think that's my thing with Memphis right now is that they do seem a little bit too one track minded with the way that they approach the game. Uh, and that's not necessarily because of, of the scheme or whatnot. It's just the fact that they're, they're missing some of the guys that can change the way that they can play. And I think a lot of it too depends on Jaron Jackson Jr. Right. Because for, for the lack of viability or kind of the lack of versatility. Adams has the ball screen coverage. I think Jaron's the opposite. Yeah. Like he's re- he's become really really good in drop playing that one on two. He can switch at times as well. He can hedge and recover. I think he's pretty good at that. Um, but as as 
to the degree that like his foul stuff is overblown, like he still struggled a lot with that last in the playoffs. So like if he can only if you can only play him twenty five minutes, then that's an issue. But if you can get him up to 36, 37, right. 38, and you can play him at the primary five for twenty of those minutes and not worry about the foul stuff, then then that totally changes the tune. So I think that's that's where my point of optimism would be with this team is like can Jaron level up to like really play the heavy minutes without getting in foul trouble? You know, I think he's gotten he's definitely gotten better at it, but like there's just times still where you can kind of tell he's he's got the devil on the shoulder where he wants like he, he wants to get he that just block. wants to go for that block right. He's gotten yeah. a lot better at the timing and the discipline and and kind of controlling his limbs or just just crash down on guys. But like sometimes the devil the devil beats the angel in some of those yeah. rotations. And it's also that's, that's yeah no it's, you're right you're right and it's also like look when you when the point of attack defense you're not you can't really trust on them to get stops you're going to be facing a lot more shots at the rim and that just means more probability that you're going to get called on some of these fouls so it's just look if you're bleeding points at the point of attack it just makes it that much harder for a guy like jaron to be able to stay in the game so yeah, that's and, and as good as dylan brooks has been defensively this year especially yeah. on the ball like i like i just i i've this came to my mind because I, I just watched it this afternoon, but I, you know the, the Grizzlies Pelicans game in the first half, like a lot of the things that the Pelicans did well to kind of unleash Brandon Ingram last year was he would catch the ball at a spot, kind of on the move, and Dylan Brooks is doing a tremendous job of denying him that stuff. They're mm-hmm. bringing help with with Jaron Jackson Jr. And in the second half, they're like, okay, let's just have Brandon initiate the possessions, and he was great in the fourth quarter. And Brooks was just a little too small, and he kind of he used Ingram used his aggressiveness against him, so like. That's that's kind of where we're that I think Brooks is a really really good on ball defender, really good off ball denier, things like that, but just isn't quite in that top tier of discipline and size and instincts to where I think he could really like be a dominant force up top with yeah. with Jaron. So maybe I get proven wrong. Like again, I'm I've been yeah. a little bit of a, a, like I've been lower on Brooks as, as a player for a while. I do think he's been pretty dang impressive this year, so I didn't want to give him his flowers there, but I just don't think he's quite in that top tier of wing defenders. You know, some of it's physical limitations that he can't control, some of it's yeah. habits that he can't control. So, um, hey, yeah, he's that, a Canadian guy. We always, we, we're, we're fans up here uh, of Dylan Brooks. I know he doesn't have a lot of fans in the NBA world, <laughs> but we, 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 you know, we kind of look the other way. We, we turn the other cheek, if you will, when it comes yeah, sometimes to Sometimes you got to do that. But yeah, so that, that's, <laughs> where, that's where I stand. I think if Dylan Brooks was two inches tall or a baby field, yeah, yeah. which feels unfair to, to him and the Grizzlies, but that's, that's kind of the name yeah. of the game sometimes. Height, size, strength, those kind of inherent traits, you know, win out or, or lose out and, and these, these sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, cool. So we've talked about the top two. Uh, Want to switch over to the fun, running gun, enjoyable, best story of the season, Sacramento Kings. I mean, like they are the best offense in NBA history right now. They have been absolutely incredible to watch. They're one of my favorite late night watches in the NBA. Um, I mean, genuinely, they're, they're so exciting to watch between Fox and DeMontis Sabonis. Then you have guys like Kevin Herter and Keegan Murray who just broke the rookie three-point shooting record. It's just, it's it's great stories all around. Um, but it seems like a lot of, there's been a lot of talk about teams potentially angling to face the Kings in the playoffs in the first round, kind of a paper tiger sort of situation. Um, do you think that's fair? Given the defensive concerns, I know I didn't mention any of the defensive concerns just now, but they are not the greatest defensive team. They don't have a lot of size like we mentioned earlier just now with Dylan Brooks. They don't necessarily have a ton of size as well. Um, Do you think there are concerns? Do you think teams angling to face a Sacramento Kings in the first round are fair to be angling? Or do you think the Kings have more 
Uh, are we sleeping on the Kings, if you will? I think it's fair. I think I think the Kings can definitely win a series, um, which like is is incredible. Like this team is really good. I, I do think it's a bit of a bummer, kind of as, like you can definitely see the discourse starting to, to turn with them a little bit. Yeah. Um, but the reality too is like this team is really healthy. That's not their fault at all. Like it's good to be healthy, um, but that helps you win a lot more games than if you're, you know, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Warriors, you know, the Suns, the Grizzlies have had, you know, Jaron Jack missed some time, John missed some time, Stephen Adams missed half the year, you know, Bain missed about 20, 25 games. So like you look at like their best players, like Harrison Barnes played 80, Davion Mitchell played 79, Sabonis 78, Keegan 78, <laughs> Malik Monk 76, Herder 74, De'Aaron Fox yeah. 72. Like, like that's really good availability. And that, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's like that's, record that's why setting. They might win fifty games this year. Like that's why they're a really good team. Right. But like I think the way I'll put it, I think the gap in record between some of these lower seeds and the Kings, I would say, overstates the quality mm. of of the the gap in quality of these teams. If there is one, like if you think the Kings are better than some of these lower seeded teams that we kind of mentioned a bit earlier in the play, and or you know even the stick seed, like who has the stick seed right now? I think it's the Warriors. Warriors. Or the yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or the Clippers are five. Yeah, um, but yeah. So I, I think there are there are it's justified to maybe want to play them, you know, over the Nuggets, over the Suns, um, over the Grizzlies to an extent. Obviously, I make clear that I'm not you know the biggest you know Grizzlies optimist, but yeah. Um, and my big worry w- w- with the Kings is the fact that like like and maybe this, how do I forget, like they try on defense. It's just it's just a bad roster personnel wise defensively. It is. Yeah, it, yeah, there's no room protection. Uh, the their best point of attack defender is a six one guard who doesn't really work well off the ball, <laughs> and that's kind of the key to playing it well in the Demonstrator's offense. Yeah, um, like he's good. He's good in those dribble handoffs, getting downhill. Davion is. He shot. He's been a really good interior scorer this year. The three balls have been there, but I think I want to say last time I looked at numbers, he's shooting like above league average on twos, which is impressive for a small guard. Yeah, finishing pretty well, I think. Um, I could be wrong there, but you know, I checked that maybe a week or two ago. Um, but that, that's kind of the issue. I think their second best point of attack defender, like you know, I think Fox has been better this year, but like I, I don't think he's great. Like I don't think you want to enter a playoff series like trusting your defense going to Darren Fox, or our second best you know point of attack guy. So. Um, that's where that's where we're like I think Harrison Barnes is like he can do some stuff as you know as a rebounder and give you some size but like pretty stiff laterally not good getting around screens not gonna give you any rim protection Sabonis I think has honestly been pretty solid this year defensively they're playing him at the level a lot yep. they're icing and pushing a lot of screens to kind of let him use his strength and size to kind of shrink the floor as much as possible but like when teams get to the rim like they just the the, the Kings just don't really have much of an answer unfortunately no real I rim protection spurts of being that perfect ideal guy next to Sabonis on offense and defense. You've seen some impressive kind of rotations on the interior, but he's a rookie and, and kind of the speed of the NBA gets all these guys. I think he'll be a lot better there next year. Um, Trey Murphy was the same way last year where like you saw some flashes of weak term protection and, and tagging as a low man. Well, and it's gotten a lot better this year. So I expect he can do the same way. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I just think kind of between how healthy they've been compared to some other teams and the fact that, their defensive personnel just is flat out pretty poor. Um, I think it's reasonable. I kind of maybe want to be angry to play them. I don't think anyone should be like, like I, I don't like when teams tank to, to avoid. Um, right. yeah, like, yeah. I, I just think you got to go through, you got to go through like, maybe that make maybe that makes me an old head for that, for that statement. But um, no, the basketball think, like, gods are never in like, your if favor. You wanna, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like if you want to win a title, you're going to have to play hard teams. Like you're going to have to beat anyone. You're going to have to beat teams that play different, different styles. Yeah. Um, just play those in front of you rather than kind of angling to or whatnot. But, um, 
Davion yeah, so Mitchell, those... by the way, is uh, is finishing 67% of his shots at the rim and 54% of his shots uh, in the mid range, which is that's actually very good. So <laughs> yeah, he's got yeah. he's got a really nice like deceleration, like snatchback pull up that he likes from the mm-hmm. free throw line. Um, but yeah, that, that that that's kind of my worry is that like he's your best point of attack option, and then I think there are other like best options on that end, you know, um, or. or uh, Kessler, I almost Kessler, said Kessler. Obviously, he's a different. There's a different lot of Kessler. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kessler Edwards, who was a very good shooter at Pepperdine, but hasn't quite found the stroke overall in the NBA. Um, I don't know what he's shooting with the Kings specifically. Anyway, he's kind of bouncing in and out of the rotation since you know yeah, joining them yeah. at, the, at the deadline. But like as they look down the bench and try to find more defensive-minded options, the kind of all this spacing, movement, shooting, running, gunning persona, you know, or ethos kind of declines with every defensive minded guy you bring. And that's, that's kind of the nature of the NBA, right? Is that like these mm-hmm. defensive minded guys tend to be less offensively inclined unless you are a, a Giannis and Embiid, whoever right. is like, that's what makes them, you know, MVP camps and in Giannis's case, an MVP winner. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of my worry with the Kings. I just think they have to make too many concessions with their offensive identity to be a formidable defense, or at least try to be a formidable defense. And like I just that's uh, I just worry like again like I've watched a lot of the games this year they've been super fun but like they just try really hard on defense it doesn't work it's not their own issues like they're just not they're just players yeah. who are inclined to like build a good defense around that's why they've been a great yeah. offense and a bad defense but they still have forty eight wins I think so mm-hmm. um, it's tough to nitpick too much when especially when you're looking at it from the perspective of the Kings you know who have been you know down on our luck for a while and have a very good team this year so. Yeah, they could win a series. I, I don't know if I would pick them and depend a lot on who they face, but um, yeah, they're having a great year. I don't want to like talk about them too negatively, right? But I do think that like a first round series would be quite good against you know certain teams that they could face. So I'll ask you the question: Which <laughs> team would you be more? I mean, look, it seems like they're going to play one of the Clippers, the Warriors, Lakers, maybe the Pelicans, depending on what happens here. Again, it's crazy to say this because there's only three days left in the regular season. And again, shit show. But who would you say is is the the team that you would like Sacramento the most against between those four that I mentioned? Yeah, I think if you're a Kings fan, I, I wouldn't mind the Clippers. I know that people, you know, some people they're optimists have kind of talked all year about like, you know, I'm still on the Clippers, things like that. And that's fine. Like, I'm not here to, like, begrudge anyone for thinking that way. But, like, this team yeah. hasn't – I know that Kawhi's missing time. PG's out now. But, like, even before even before PG missed, you know, I think he's been out two weeks now roughly with his hyperextended knee, I believe, yeah. is the injury. Yeah. Um, he's supposed to be reevaluated within the next week or so. Yeah, he might um, miss the, the first round, but it's it's still up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully, yeah, prayers up to him and he's you know, back as quickly as possible. But, like, Absolutely. even when, like – I think, I know, again, Kawhi and PG missed a lot of time, but, like, they had a negative point differential when those guys, you know, were both healthy at the time. Mm-hmm. Not something they had a negative point differential in every game those two played together. Um, but the silver negative, like, it's just it's just hard for me to get in on that team. But anyhow, specific reasons I like them for the Kings. They don't pressure the rim much. They're like, you're not going to exploit them as much defensively. It's a jump shoot heady, shoot, shooting heavy team. They kind of just go with kind of Kawhi and PJ shot PG shot making when, when obviously when PG is available. Yeah. A lot of mid-range ISOs can get stagnant. You know, we all saw that last possession against the Thunder a couple a couple weeks ago. <laughs> obviously not everyone was Lou Dort in terms of that lateral quickness <laughs> and strength combination, but um that's kind of been their MO at times is like just trying to mismatch mismatch hunt to a fault. Um it's not a quick decision making team either. Like it's just a bad offense despite having two two superbly talented wings in Kawhi and and PG. They don't pressure yeah. the rim, like I said. Um, they don't have a ton of size. You know, I know they have Zubots, but like 
I could see a world where like the Sabonis is moving and running and gunning a lot, and they're kind of you know they're moving side to side, and, and Lou decides to go away from Zubac. We've obviously seen him be pretty willing to reduce Zubac's yeah, I think, minutes in, in the playoffs. I think in that crazy Clippers and Kings game that went to 170, uh, it was actually Mason Plumley that was finishing out that game instead of Zubac. So, yeah, so it Mason seems Plumlee, like they like that. Is, is a very uh, yeah. unqualified the defensive player right. on the interior. Yeah. Very talented offense. We don't want to take anything away from that, but um, it, it, not not a good defender whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would wonder kind of if they, like, w- like if Zubots is, if Sabonis' mobility kind of that side-to-side action they run is too much for um, Zubots, they go small and then Sabonis can just punish them. Because um, yeah. that's kind of been one of my favorite things about the Kings this year is when, you know, a defense, they, they, they shut down the, the Sabonis, they shut down the Fox DHO and then like, Keegan tries to lift for an open angle three, and like they cut, they shut down that too, and all these all these outlets are shut off, and someone just goes, okay, I'll just go one on one against one on one, no problem, yeah, and then I'll score. Um, it's like that's like, oh, geez, like what, what the hell are you supposed to do with that? Like, <laughs> their their last resort is this accomplished twenty points per game scorers, you know, on like sixty five percent true shooting, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and then like I think similarly, like I don't like the off ball awareness and crispness, crispness of the, the Clippers defenders. I think mm-hmm. both the communication and the general awareness of individual defenders is not particularly good. Um, you know, I think Kawhi is good there. Batum was good. Like they've, I think they've excised more from the rotation. Yeah. Um, but I just worry about some, you know, Powell's not good there and they need his offense a lot. Russ, I think has been better in some regards offensively with the Clippers, but like he's still pretty prone to getting like caught up on a flare screen or a back screen, things like that. Um, or he'll kind of, he'll, he loves to go for kind of the poke out, like die on the screen and then try and poke mm-hmm, it out from mm-hmm. behind. Um, so those are some of the reasons that I like that for them. And then, like I said, the, the defense, like I think even the Clippers could have an awesome shot-making series. I don't know if they would be able to put these Kings into scramble mode as much as would be ideal um, because of their lack of room pressure and things like that. So um, that that would be my, my most favorite matchup with the Kings, and I would I would definitely pick the Kings in that matchup. I'm, I'm yeah. low on the Clippers. I think I've made that pretty clear. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I think anyone would be low on the Clippers without PG, but I – but I'm low, you know, even if PG's back to his all NBA or all star self. So they for really, those reasons, I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. They've really been a, a, a wholly inconsistent team. Uh, and, and the offense has just at times, like you said, it grinds to a halt. It just feels like there's not a lot of ball movement there. And I know they've brought Russell Westbrook in and, and Westbrook has looked good for them. Um, but I, I just think there's this level of fluidness that they just do not have offensively. And, and I, I question that not only against Sacramento, but I question that against Phoenix. I question that against Golden State, whoever they end up facing in the first round. A lot of slow decision makers is, is the big issue there. And yeah. they, like, I wrote a piece about them maybe a month ago on Dime. If people want to read it, I'm sure if you just type my name with Dime Up Rocks. Plug talk. Okay. <laughs> You'll find it. But like, I wrote a lot about the fact that they kind of have to always make concession on one side of the ball. And you have to do that with any team. Mm-hmm. With any player, for the most part, you know, like I said, besides the rare Giannis and Joels and and Kawhi's and Tatum's and you know and KD and whatnot, yeah. um, and that's why those guys are all top ten players or whatever you know, wherever you want to put Kawhi and KD with their injuries and you know, um, but at their peak still these days, um, like they just like Norm Powell, really really good, super decisive, gives you room pressure, gives you floor spacing, gives you quick hitting movements, but undersized two guard, um, can do some stuff. He's kind of a, an off ball top lot guy because he's physical, but like. Just not much else there. Russ, like you mentioned, pretty poor in defense. Gives you the the rim pressure and the playmaking they need, and gets them in the open floor more. They're a super slow paced team before yeah. uh, Kawhi got or before Russ got there, and they're up to like twenty second, twenty third pace, which isn't high, but 
I have to go check the splits of the matches. They're probably top 10, top 12 since Russ arrived. Um, Zubach versus Plumley is a great example of that too. Zubach just kind of eats up space offensively in a bad way, but on defense eats up space in a very good way. Um, even if he's improved a lot on, defense, on offense, has a nice little soft hook shot that he's you know added to his repertoire as of late. So um, mm-hmm. just, too, just too many concessions on both sides of the ball um, for me. But yeah, I would like that matchup for the Kings for sure. I think that's that's one that I'd feel comfortable with and feel confident in. Um, barring you know Kawhi and PG have two ridiculous shot making uh, series, which obviously is not out of the realm of possibility because nope. those guys are two yeah. tremendous players, and Kawhi has made a habit of it. Obviously, as you as you and other Raptors fans know, he's, he's done that before. So, um, but obviously, even, you know, that, that, man, that even, Raptors team was uh, a lot more quick decision makers. Than yeah, Kawhi, that, that, that helped definitely. Things, no so. Mark Gasol on this on yeah, this Clippers no Ky, team. No, no Kyle Lowry to, to make yeah. this. No, no Pascal Siakam as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, I wouldn't be surprised if if the Clippers won. But I'd definitely pick the Kings in, in that series with or without PG available. It'd be awesome. It would be. I mean, just as a as a NBA fan, it would be great to see the Kings win a playoff series. I mean, it just it would be a great sight to see, especially for the city of Sacramento. That's that's amazing. Um, you you sort of mentioned the Clippers. This is a team that they are more than likely going to face in the first round, and that's the Phoenix Suns. Uh, obviously, the upside with the Suns is is very clear, very abundantly clear uh, with Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, CP. Aiton. Um, some would say they're the favorites in the West. Uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure. They've been undefeated with Durant in the lineup. Um, what have been your overall takeaways watching this team fully healthy? How have you, ha, has it alleviated any concern for you? Has it created any concern for you watching this team? Uh, what are some overlying, you know, questions or, or even answers that you have when it comes to this? the Suns team yeah so I do want to preface that I've only seen I want to say maybe two or three games of them healthy Fair. um just because they haven't been very healthy and I just it's like I just I can't watch every game I saw my all my it's few and far between, between. Now and they yeah. start um yeah. you know before they start the playoffs obviously I still have another week or so so definitely gonna catch a few Suns games um with Katie in the lineup but um I like how they're not overextending Katie offensively I think there's a very seamless fit you know that he runs a lot of the same offense and actions that they ran for Mikel, and they still run for Booker. Yeah. Um, I like how they're getting into his spots um, on that end. I like that they're like they've used. I know that David Nash, I think, is his name, who does really good work uh, just on Twitter covering the Suns. That's kind of like the the big play they run a lot is like the CPA and pick and roll, and Katie is in the the weak corner. I think maybe he, I don't know if he still is, but maybe at one point I think I saw he like hadn't missed a corner three off of that action yet. Mm-hmm. It's a release foul there, so I like that they're not kind of overextending him there. But I like at the same time how they continue to kind of let him be an initiator when necessary, help him get the ball to CP on the move. Um, that, that's been a big difference I've noticed Tyler. So this year is CP starting off the ball a lot, getting the ball with the head of steam with yeah. an advantage, going to compensate for his, his lack of burst these days where he can still kind of use instantaneous playmaking speed and, and, and whatnot and processing um, without having to do all the work up top. So um, those are some of the things I've liked. Like, it just seems like a really seamless fit offensively. Defensively, you can still kind of tell they're working out the kinks. You know, I've, I've watched a couple of games where the switches are late, the communication's late, maybe, which is just natural. Like, it's just, it's really hard to get that stuff on the fly. Yeah. Um, you just like people call switches different ways, you know, whether it's a hand motion or it's calling it out specifically, you know, vo- vo- verbally or vocally. Geez, same thing. Um, but that's kind of what stood out to me there. Um, and so, and the other, the other encouraging thing too is CP's been really good since around the start of the month. Last 16 games, um, averaging about 14 a game, nine assists, 47% from the field, 36% from three. Still not getting to the free throw line much, but that's not really been his yeah. demo the last few years. 
Um, yeah. Only 1.6 turnovers, so about a, you know five and a half to one assist to turnover ratio. Um, I have my fair share of concerns about CP in the playoffs, but um, it As is encouraging yeah. to see him in the last month kind of ramp it up. Um, the mid-range jumper hadn't really been there for him this year, kind of uncharacteristically. It's really weird to say that about CP, but yeah. um, it is encouraging for him to kind of get back there because he shot the ball really well from three this year, but he couldn't score from mid-range, and it was like, you know, this is a weird, <laughs> this is a weird reality we're in. But I feel like he's dialing up a little bit. Like I said, I like that they're you know helping him out a little bit, you know, making him do everything. So I think part of the reason that he faltered in the last two series, they lost the playoffs because of the full court pressure that Drew Holiday, Reggie Bullock, or Frank Nilakina applied. Or yeah. if now you can do it with KD, you can do it with Booker, and then you can get you can get CP on the move with those handoff actions with KD or Aiden, whoever it is. So um, I feel definitely encouraged by by the Suns in some regards, but they are on my my watch list for sure over the next week, just because it's been hard to catch a lot of them because I'm trying to catch all these different West teams, and all these different Eastern Conference crazy teams, man. Yeah, I I just I can't find the time to to watch four Suns games in a row because then I'll miss 27 yeah. other teams, and it's <laughs> it's a tough tough reality. But yeah, they're on my they're on my watch list for sure. So I get a better sense of the KD new look Suns over the next week. I think, I think like you, the Suns are also trying to figure out how, <laughs> how they can watch. Cause they, I mean, look, like you mentioned it with the defense, but the learning on the fly approach is really what they've taken so far. Um, and I think one of the observations I've had, again, just like you, I haven't really watched, I've maybe watched two or three full Suns games when they've been fully healthy. But my main takeaway from that is that teams are very comfortable loading up on KD and Booker and then forcing the essentially just saying anybody else but those two, we will deal with the consequences. Whether it's Josh Okogie, whether it's you know whoever else they throw out as that fifth guy, maybe even CP three and eight, and forcing those guys to make more shots. I'm a big believer that like your supporting cast has to show up in the playoffs for you to win playoff games. I I know a lot of people say that superstars are what will win you playoff series, and maybe that is the case when it comes to shot making and and you know overall clutch shots, whatever have you. But the the you know end of third quarter run when Grant Williams is knocking down a bunch of threes, it's those type of things that really make make the difference between a conference semifinals run and a finals run. Um, with that being said, how do you think the the Suns could potentially counteract that with them loading up on KD, maybe loading up on Booker? What are what are some ways do you think they can counteract that? Yeah, I think I think the big thing you know when they have their their big four out there is. Like if teams are going to double one of KD or Booker, like you just being diligent about like involving them in a lot of screen actions. Like let's say, yeah. um, I'm trying to, I mean, I'm trying to think of, you know, the Suns run a lot of stuff from, from out of horns, you know, out of the elbows, you know, a lot of Chicago action pin downs. Let's say like they're going to double KD off the catch. You have, and like in the, the, whatever this, let's say it's like they're going to, they're coming around a pin down, they're going to double off that. Let's have eight and be the screener so you can slip it and then Booker or CP finds him. If it's a flare screen or something like that, have Booker be the screener so you can flare out if they're not going to guard him. So things like that. And then also the, the reality is that like, Part of what makes KD really, really, really freaking good is he's often impervious to double teams and all this pressure. Like, yeah. you know, I was watching the, the, I think maybe the last time the game I caught in full was the Wolves one last week in his return. And I know he didn't shoot the ball well, but like, Jaden McDaniels played some really good defense, but he would hit some ridiculous, KD would still hit some ridiculous shots when Jaden did everything right. Like, that's kind of his MO, right? Is that, yeah. is, is that he's just kind of impervious to these things. So, same with Booker, um, honestly. Same with yeah, Booker. Yeah, Booker yeah. can be the same way for sure, especially against single coverage, even if this defender's really stingy. So, um, that, that alleviates some concerns for sure as well. Um, but that, that, I would just be really intentional about kind of how you're kind of harmonizing the talents of those four, um, yeah. and just kind of who's being used as a screener and things like that. Um, 
but yeah, there's definitely some concern because of the fact that, like, I don't know what CP will look like in the playoffs. Honestly, I don't know what Aiton looks like game to game. He's been really mercurial this year. He's yeah. a huge swing factor for them this year. Um, if they can get the 2021 playoff Aiton that we saw, and kind of maybe the, even just yeah. the, the one we saw down the stretch of the regular season, the last half of the year when you really kind of broke out in full, that would be huge. Um, even the one we saw for the first eight or nine games of the playoffs last year when he was pretty dang good. Yeah. Um, would be great. So, and then it doesn't even mention that like Craig's, Tory Craig slash Josh Kogi is probably the fifth guy. And I know Kogi had a nice little run there, but he's falling back to earth as a shooter. Does some good stuff as a slasher. I really like the defense. There's some good connective passing there as well. Um, but the fact that kind of their fifth starter is more of like a guy that you prefer as a seventh or eighth man, like end of the playoff rotation, mm-hmm. but you're going to have to probably close with one of them. Um, it, it is concerning for sure. Curious to see how Monty handles those things. Um, he's definitely been very experimental this year with with the lineups. Yep. I think as a whole, the Suns have tried to be more experimental. Uh, they did some of that last year, but I think they've, they've kicked it up a notch this year as well because obviously they weren't experimental enough in the regular season as they cruised to whatever it was, 60 wins. I think might have been a franchise record or some really nice shiny record. Um, <laughs> but... And yeah, I, I, I came off really demeaning, but I, but I mentioned that I was like, like it, it, they I had, got they had a mean. great, they had a great, they had a regular season. I, just didn't, I didn't mean it for that to belittle the Suns in the regular season. Um, it's clearly probably in the regular season. I, I believe that, but um, but yeah, so I, that's that's kind of where I stand on those things. It's like, so I think the big thing is just being intentional with how you're involving those guys. Katie and Booker like the ball in some similar spots, like the ball, you get the ball off of similar actions. So mm-hmm. if they're gonna load up on one of them. Have the other guy be involved in the screen. You still got CP up top to survey everything. Incredible processor. Um, yeah. And let him capitalize on that. Teams are going to sell out. Obviously, it gets harder if you're staggering one of them. I think, obviously, any time you're going to want one of Booker or Katie on the floor just for shot creation and shot making. Um, so that that's when things get hazier. I don't quite have the answers there necessarily. But I think in, in that sense, then you're going to want a a Cameron Payne out there or, or the other or the other CP, Chris, Chris Paul, out there. Um <laughs> But it was it was funny like when they still had Cameron Johnson like I would have I would have Chris Paul in my notes the CP I would have Cam Payne as Payne and I would have Cam Johnson Cam Johnson Cam it was, Cam. Like, it, was a, it was a mess <laughs> at times but yeah so I think that'd be the big thing is just being diligent with rotations otherwise like you imagine right. you're gonna run a seven eight man rotation that at most deep in the playoffs assuming that's you know, where the Suns can reach so that that's kind of the the big thing is just diligence is yeah. that's a broad theme there. Uh, by proxy here through through touching the f- ter- the first four teams, the top four teams in the West, we've sort of touched on who the Suns could potentially face in the first round. We talked about the Clippers. We talked a little bit about the Lakers. I do want to talk about the Golden State Warriors. Uh, they're going to be getting Andrew Wiggins back. He's he's out for the regular season, but that's only two more games. More than likely, he will be playing in their first round series. Um, they could be the fifth seed that faces the Suns. They could be the sixth seed that faces the Kings. They could be the seventh seed that ends up pay, playing the Warriors. And, and look, if, if if things go really, really bad, they could even be the eighth seed playing the Nuggets. Um, but at the same time, I, I look, there's there's a lot of possibilities with this Warriors team. They've struggled on the road uh, in a somewhat perplexing fashion. They've been in unbeatable at home as usual. Um, in general, bringing back Wiggins should solve some of their problems, but do you think that is enough to bring them back to that contender status? Do you think that bringing Wiggins back is a sort of pro- all-in-one problem solver, if you will, for this team and what they've kind of dealt with throughout the season? Yeah, it's it's weird because like I, I 
I, I wish I was able to watch like every Warriors game so I could clearly understand what exact I know like what exactly the, the what causes the distance between the home and the road. I know some of it's been like three point shooting defense, three point shooting yeah. luck. I think is what some beat reports have put out there. But like, and maybe maybe I missed an article on this, but I love like Joe Varey who does incredible work on the Warriors. Like had done. Maybe I'm, like I said, maybe I missed it. So Joe, if you listen to this, feel free to DM me and, and give me an airport. <laughs> or at least at least plug the plug the link. Um, because what's causing that? Because like when I catch them at their best, they just look really really good, which is yeah. not which is you know, not rocket science. They're not breaking any ground, but. I think Wiggins solves a lot of issues because they're playing a lot of small lineups. So, you know, they had a, a pretty weird juggernaut lineup against the Thunder on Tuesday where it was like Draymond plus Steph, Poole, DiVincenzo, and Gary Payton II. Um, that's a lot of small guys. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't close with it. I think they brought Looney back in in place of, I want to say, GP2 maybe. It could be off. But um, Wiggins gives you that kind of that – a lot of the traits of everything to an extent. Like with Kuminga, they like the – point of attack defense slash size combo, the rim pressure off the ball, some of the offensive rebounding, um, but it doesn't give you that floor space or shot creation. You get that with Wiggins. With Peyton, they like the rim pressure off the ball, some of the rebounding, the point of attack. You don't get that floor space. And again, he's also much smaller than Kuminga. Right. Obviously a much better defender than Kuminga, but kind of that same idea. With Wiggins, you get all of the best of the things. So if you can get if Wiggins able to quickly round into form, which is obviously unfair to him to put all this pressure on Tough him. Tough to ask, yeah. As, as the elixir, and especially kind of just getting his feet under him so quickly. I know that I think Bob Myers said that he's been he's been training, but it's just different. Like it just, it just yeah. isn't. He knows that Wiggins knows that. You know, it's not 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 anything groundbreaking there. But um, if he can play the way he did open this year and the way he did in the playoffs last year and for much of the regular season as well, like that player is huge for them. It gives them more wing depth, gives them more rebounding, gives them rim pressure with his cutting, gives them floor spacing, tertiary shot creation behind yeah. Steph and Poole. Uh, maybe even secondary if, if Poole's having a, a tough a tough decision-making night and maybe the defense isn't there either. Um, so he definitely alleviates a lot of problems. That's a really, really incredible front court in terms of mobility, ground coverage uh, defensively with, with Looney, Dre, and Wiggins. Maybe even Lo- just Dre and Wiggins. And you mm-hmm. go three small guards. Maybe you go Clay as well. Yeah, Clay has been quite impressed with the turn of the calendar in 2023. Yeah. Um, I think he's gotten a little more mobile too. Uh, I think just maybe – Putting him in the proper matchups too, I think has helped. He's just, the, the the fluidity la- fluidity laterally is not there like it was pre injury or pre injuries, I should say. But um, you can definitely see, like we saw later in the finals last year, that there's a certain matchups where he can be really stingy you know, on the ball still. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think Wiggins at at his peak form that we've seen during his Golden State tenure alleviates a lot of issues. Um, but the issue, but like I said, it's just I, I just wish I had a better understanding of why they've struggled on the road versus the home versus home, but. Um, maybe that's kind of an assignment for me. You know, once you know, once we get some of these fewer games, you know, once the plan starts yeah. um, next week. But uh, you've got but yeah, homework. Still, yeah, yeah, I do. I give myself one. Why did I, why did I do that? Um, <laughs> but but yeah, so that's that's kind of where I stand on them. I, I feel good about the Warriors. I do. Like I I just I don't know. Again, maybe it's just I'm giving them too much too much uh, credit for their highs and kind of their their championship mystique, but. I just think there's a lot of stuff they can do on, on both ends. And yeah. and Steph is so, like, floor-raising offensively that um, it allows for a lot of defensively slanted lineups. Um, but I like I like what DiVincenzo's done this year. I like what GP2 has looked like since he's been back. Um, Poole is such a 
mercurial player if we're going to call it that which is very helpful <laughs> as well but yeah. gosh when you get a run like you saw him with against the thunder to kind of turn that game in the fourth quarter yeah. uh you see some of the stuff he's done that late like his playoff run last year is really impressive too for a guy that young in his first deep playoff run mm-hmm. uh, or his first playoff run right because you yeah no that's play- that's their first playoff yeah, yeah exactly i know they made a plan the year prior but that's not the playoffs um, yeah so yeah i still like them but um i'm definitely willing to to come down from that if you know people have seen more there or have people have been able to better pinpoint their road struggles and kind of the factors behind it that i'm potentially overlooking i've decided i'm not going to uh doubt the golden state warriors <laughs> and, and the reason is i made that same mistake with the san antonio spurs when i was a kid i i kept saying there's no way they're way too old they're the six seed they're the five seed whatever they're not going to do it this year it doesn't it doesn't matter and yet still somehow they have they year in year out they had this resiliency about them um and even though they were a great regular season team for a bunch of years uh they still found a way to turn it up in the playoffs and i think when you have the playoff experience of a Clay Thompson, of a of a Steph Curry, of a Draymond Green, who has been, I mean, even in that Thunder game, was just uh, a he, world beater defensively. Um, he was incredible on both ends. For like, I don't know, yeah. he didn't score a ton, but God, just the just the decisions he made. God, he, I mean, yeah, that's my favorite. He's, I think maybe this is gonna sound really nerdy of me, but God, when he is on, like, he's still one of my favorite players to watch. Like some of the stuff he did in the yeah in that Thunder game, and then just thinking back to some of the stuff he did in games five and six of the finals, like it's just it's just another level. It's it's super fun. But yeah, it's, I think that's it, completely fair to trust them. Yeah. I mean look, and to your point about Draymond, there's a level of intuition with the way that he plays, with the way that Steph plays, that is is different from saying, hey, um, this is just a regular basketball team that is going through the lulls of, of a road trip or what, whatever. Right. I, I would like to know if they're, I mean, Joe, if you got a que- answer for us, let us know. But <laughs> I, in general, I would like to know if there's anything that really catches people's eye when it comes to these road struggles for the Warriors, because otherwise I do think they're a contender. And, and like, it's crazy to say this about a team who is battling to stay in the playoffs, but they have the chance to win an NBA championship this year. And I, I think that's not a crazy thing to suggest. But the big thing, you know, just kind of looking at some of their, their, their profile, thinking back to some games too, is like they turned the ball. I think they're 29th insane rate. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's a product of both Steph and Dre, right? Like mm-hmm. Steph has kind of historically always been a very talented and pretty good passer, but he's sloppy. Dre will, will test the margins as much as possible. A lot of his yeah. turnovers are dead ball turnovers. So they're not as as detrimental because they don't ignite a fast break, but they still end up possession a, a chance for you to score. That's any turnover, you know, it's yeah. going to hurt you in that regard. But um, Poole obviously you know, is, has his own issue. I don't know if Poole's turnover. They've typically been a pretty high turnover team year yeah. in, year out, and though, right? That's, yeah. that's the that's the reality of an offense that's so motion based, so movement based. You're trying mm-hmm. a lot from passes. And like so you're led by Stephen Dre for a decade, just kind of yeah. the way it is. But um, but yeah, that, that would be a big concern. It's like even like, because like you think like who like if they played Memphis in the first round, um, Memphis is really good at turning them turning teams over. I don't know if they're as good as they were last when they had Melton and Kyle Anderson still, but um, that's a strength of that defense. They play aggressive help with the nail. They're they're handsy with Dylan Brooks and Jaron's obviously you know both a block machine and pretty good at you know can, you know uh, what's the word I guess uh, producing steals for a big man too. So um, that would be a series that I you know. Obviously, you know, just even for the encore stuff, you know, the, the co-curriculars people would love. Right. But um, I think that would be an interesting series. Like if Golden State runs into a team that's really good at turning you over, um, and then maybe just, it maybe matches up with Golden State's defense well. Um, maybe they're a great rebounding team where they're, you know, they, they have a bunch of size inside. Mm-hmm. 
which I don't think there are a ton of teams that, that have that really in, in the in the West that they can match up with. Um, like you think about Minnesota, but like Minnesota has done issues, and they're not going to play Minnesota in the first round, obviously. So um, I kind of yeah, want to pull on. I kind of want to pull on the thread you just mentioned. You you sort of uh, talked about it, but like this matchup dependency in the West is something that is so obvious to me, and maybe it's because there's this there's this very clear logjam that's happening from you know. <laughs> honestly throughout the entire conference you don't really see that in the east i think in the east you know it's milwaukee and boston there boston they're cut up cut above philly is obviously it seems very very formidable this year so there's even if the matchup is tough for them you think those teams will be able to best whoever they face in the playoffs but when it comes to the west there's a level of matchup dependency that that would make me say hey you know what i think the warriors who are a six or seven seed could potentially upset you know, the Grizzlies in the first round or, or, or whoever in the first round, the Kings in the first round, uh, you could say the same thing about the Lakers who we talked about earlier and, and, you know, how they've looked like a much better team than what their seat is. But at the same time, they can pull off an upset as well. Maybe the Clippers are in that same area. Um, I guess my, my question with that is why do you think that is in the West? Do you think it's because a lot of these teams are closer together or do you think it's a certain element of all of these teams have flaws and therefore, it's matchup dependent. Where, where do you think that comes from? I think it's the it's the latter. There, these teams are flawed. Um, these teams have dealt with a lot of different injuries and looking different throughout the year, or adding players. Yeah. Um, you know, you can just you can you can basically the Grizzlies plus like everyone else you know b- below them besides the Kings um, have had pretty substantial injury issues this year. Maybe I'm forgetting some stuff with with the Kings or Nuggets. So I apologize if so, but. Or just absences, you know. You look at Ja, Jaron, Desmond, Bain have almost I think twenty plus games. Stephen yeah. Adams forty plus games, something like that. Um, you know, the Suns, Katie's have not a lot of Booker's missed time, Aiton's missed time, CP I think has missed some time. He's, yeah, he's off. missed some time as well. Yeah, um, it's a long season. Just some of these early season, early season injuries that just they, <laughs> you forget about them by January, February. Yeah. Um, but then you know the, the Warriors have had their issues, of course. Um, the, the Wolves, the the Pelicans, obviously. Um, the Thunder, you know, I know that he doesn't play, but like, in, he wouldn't impact them from like a game to game standpoint. But like, obviously, Chet Holmgren is not not playing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the Clippers, obviously, you know, Kawhi has missed some time. PG is missing time now, and you know, time earlier in the year too. So like, I just think the West has a, is a clearly flawed conference. Not to say that teams in the East haven't you know had injuries, you know, especially up top. There's been guys, you know, Middleton, Maxi, Harden, Rob Williams. Yeah. Um, you know, have all missed substantial time. So, um. Yeah, that's. I think it's just that there's a flawed conference, and um, but I, but I, and I think it's a team adapting to the. They're constantly having to adapt, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of guys in and out of the lineup where new trades happen. Um, yeah. so that that would be kind of my thing. It's just teams have had a lot of different issues to deal with, and you know maybe you compare it to the 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 East a little bit, where like even if you know Rob Williams missed a lot of time, Boston's accustomed to playing without him. You know Middleton missed some time. I know he's been out out of the lineup, but like. They figure out a way to adapt to that. I'm Harden and Max. He missed kind of time coinciding for the most part. Besides those 20 games they missed, roughly, Philadelphia's had them in the lineup. So it hasn't been right. necessarily the same as where, like, Kawhi and PG are out. Like, Jaws is now in the lineup. You know, KD is now in the lineup. Booker's yep. missing time. Like, Booker had the hamstring thing where like, he was in, then he was out. He's back in. Um, you know, the Wolves are constantly having to adapt because they, they have the trades, you know, to get Conley. And, and Ant was kind of, uh, I guess, evolving on the fly as well. So mm-hmm. it just feels like maybe the absences are different. There's a lot of flawed teams that's kind of requiring, you know, these players and coaches and, and whatnot to kind of constantly remold and reshape 
how they play stylistically on both ends on a game-to-game basis. Maybe that bodes well for the playoffs. I mean, being able to adapt on the fly uh, is sort of something that you need when it comes to postseason basketball. I mean, you mentioned well, as long as you top. have like a, a watering hole identity, right? Like, I think, right. You know, you have to you have to be like that's where I think if you're trying to say like what what makes the Warriors to me why am I more optimistic about them than the Clippers or maybe the Wolves? Like the Warriors know who they are. Mm-hmm. And like they, they know what they want to do on both ends. They know what kind of players they want to put out there for the most part. Um, you know, aside from maybe some of the random lab decisions that that Steve Kerr will make in the first half and then decide right. to go elsewhere in the second half. But like <laughs> they have an identity, right? They're gonna they're gonna switch a lot of stuff, they're gonna play drop with Looney, they're gonna run the, the off ball movement offensively. Dre's gonna be the conductor, Steph when they have to they'll run more pick and roll with him and let him cook. Mm-hmm. Um they just know who they are. Whereas the Wolves, I don't know if they've ever gotten there. The Clippers I think kind of knew who they want to be, but can't really get there often. Yeah. Um, and maybe you could say the same with the Warriors because they're standing kind of with the exact same record. But um, I just feel better about the Warriors getting to where they want to be constantly than a lot of these other teams in the, in the play-in or playoff hunt. Who, then, do you say is the <laughs> favorite to come out of the Western Conference? Because we've mentioned a bunch of teams now, and I apologize for not doing a deep dive on on the Pelicans and Wolves and the Mavericks. But at the same time, I don't think those are the teams that are going to be the favorites to come out of the West. Uh, so I, I guess the question I would have here is, who? Who do you think it's going to happen? Yeah. Uh, I will say, I, I do just want to give them a shout on, on our outline. You had some kind of what you're curious about each of these playoff teams. Absolutely. Doing- do it. Um, do it up. Pelicans, do it up. I'd be curious to kind of see can Trey Murphy make continuous interior strides to become a much much better scorer and driver inside the arc. Can that continue? He didn't make a single two pointer in the playoffs last year. Yeah. Um, kind of similar with the Wolves. What does Jaden McDaniels look like on both ends? He's looked a lot. He's looked better at times this year on offense. A little more confident. A little tighter handle. Better connective passing. What does Ant look like in terms of his processing on both ends? I thought he played well last year's playoffs, but was a little didn't love the decision making. I think he's gotten better in that regard. Absolutely. Um, yeah. With the Mavs, like. How far can the explosive Luka Kyrie duo override every other flaw that roster has? Mm-hmm. Um, if they're able to get there, and then with Thunder, Josh Goody, and, and, and Jada, where they look like as complementary initiators, kind of how does that OKC small ball approach fare? Right, kind of the things I'd look for if any of those teams make the playoffs. But as for I have coming out of the West, I still go Denver. Like I don't, I don't love that pick, especially don't love it to where I felt a month ago mm-hmm. um, when I think they were like forty-four and. 16 or 18 or something like that yeah uh, maybe 44 and 20 i don't know exactly but definitely a better record than the seven like what happens after a seven eight stretch um but then like i went i saw and then just kind of i when i saw that question i didn't know if he necessarily meant just in the western and kind of and all that so i went boston denver in my final prediction right now and then i think i had denver golden state um and Boston Milwaukee is my final as the west yeah and east west okay. versus west versus east so that final four there um but again like it's just interesting so based. and I did, I did I will say I did that based off of who is currently in this who is in the right. seating yeah um obviously the Warriors could fall they could rise they could change things but I think the Warriors are six right now and I like them and I match against the Kings I just like the way that Steph could play against that that yeah. coverage dragging a lot of four on threes I like the way the Warriors off-ball defenders could play against some of the off-ball off into the Kings. So that's that why I have the Warriors. That would be a fascinating that offensive round, team. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, that's where I'm at. But again, it's, it's, it's a tenuous pick for sure. I don't, I'm not trying to hedge or anything, but like, I just, I just don't know because like, I would love to be more confident, confident Denver. They've got a superstar. They've got a really good offense, but like 15 games ago, they look great. And mm-hmm. now they don't look that good. And like, it's just, too, it's not six games. It's not four games. We're like, yeah. kind of have it already locked up. It's, so it's a third. It's sorry, a third. It's like 
20% of the year, 18% of the year, that's a large enough sample for me to go, hmm, like, I don't know. Makes you wonder. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, Denver for sure still, not for sure, Den- Denver's still there. Um, but I, I think kind of my, my top three um, would be Denver, uh, Golden State, and L.A., um, or the Lakers, excuse me. Um, it's it's a lot of – it's tough to see two lower seeds like that making a deep run. Yeah. Um, but I, ju- I just kind of like the roster composition of them, both of them. I like kind of the versatility that Lakers have added, the different ways they can play. They've got perimeter scoring, floor space, and they've got AD and LeBron. I feel better about the Lakers now with LeBron kind of – I wouldn't say rounding the format for just two games, but kind of the way he took over in that second half to to kind of help the Lakers make that a competitive game was super impressive in the second half of a back-to-back after an overtime at altitude mm-hmm. um, because, frankly, he didn't look very good on Friday against the Wolves. and kind of didn't look particularly good since he came back. So yeah. those back-to-back 30.9s are important. Anthony Davis has looked phenomenal basically all year when he's been available. Austin Reeves is very good. D'Lo, I like what he's brought as a passer. Um, I like kind of the wing depth they have with some of the, some of the ground covers they have defensively. So, um, not me trying to just do like Lakers hype necessarily, but I just like what they have. And yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of the years where I think Denver's going to be, I think at least one of those three teams will be in the, the conference finals. I feel most confident Denver, but I wouldn't be surprised if any of the eight or nine or 10, you know, teams still fight. I guess 11 teams still fight. Right. I guess I would be surprised if maybe the, the four playing teams um, <laughs> or the three, the final three playing teams right, plus right. the Mavs, if they made it. Um, but it was maybe somehow the Pelicans turned on and Zion is, is back and they you know, look like they did for the first two months. But curious yeah, because I think you didn't top mention, six or seven look pretty solid. I'm curious because in the top three, you didn't mention Phoenix. And I feel like most people would, would probably mention them as one of their top three in the West. To yeah. Make it. What I is, just, yeah. I'm just not there with Phoenix. And that's a good point. I kind of just, I guess maybe my internally, I was like, yeah, I just, I'm not there. So I won't include yeah. them, but they, you know, they're, they're the four, they're going to play Denver. I just think Denver's a better team. Um, I, I just worry that like they don't have enough players. Like, right. yeah. I don't know if they have a fifth starter. I don't know what CP is going to look. I know that like the Denver isn't like the most you know explosive defense. Um, but like I just like if you throw Bruce Brown on a Christian Brown, like, I think I think Christian Brown. I know he can't play it that much necessarily, but like Christian Brown, you get the combination of Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, KCP pressuring CP full court. Christian Brown should C- probably play more in the playoffs. By the yeah, way, yeah, like like I don't know, like me a four, like kind of maybe staggers minutes against yeah. KCPs. Um, different players, of course, but both have that kind of that that shooting guard size you know, to mm-hmm. fill a defensive minor role. Obviously, KCP is a much better and more accomplished shooter yeah. with his own championship uh, pedigree. Um, so I just like I just worry about that. Like I don't know what CP looks like deep in the playoffs. I don't know what eight looks like on a night to night possession by possession basis. Yeah. And then that fifth starter really worries me. Like I think you, you can, it's very tough, but you can get away with having five starters and then have a pretty crummy bench, but they have like four starters. And I don't know <laughs> if I know if I trust two of them. Yeah. I know CP has looked better. I, I want, I, I, I'm a guy who's trying to really support eight because I like the growth he's made throughout his career, the way he's adapted, but like it's hard to trust him going into these playoffs. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel a lot different about him than I did a year ago. And especially two years ago, just going into a playoff series based on the way he's played yeah. right there. Maybe that changes. You know, I, I did preface that like, I need to get a better feel for these KD led sons. So take anything I say about them with a grain of salt for sure. Take anything I say in general with a grain of salt. I can only <laughs> watch so much of all these teams. Um, but yeah, I just, I just think like if you only have three and a half, four guys you can trust, like it's really, it's really tough. hard. And I yeah. think, I think the, it goes kind of back to what I was saying earlier. Where like Denver knows who they are, knows who they want to be. They've got five guys they can play for sure. Um, I know like people are going to 
go back to MPGA getting hunted mercilessly in that that's that Nugget series um, yeah. or that sorry that Sun series two years ago. But also, I think the you know, I think he's learned from that series. I think he's in a better place physically for sure too. Like he was not right. He was not himself by that that Sun series. You know those back issues bled into the regular season, then he missed much most of last year. So. Um, I just think they've got five guys you can trust, and I, I don't feel the same way as I do about the Suns, but yeah. that could be rendered irrelevant with KD and um, and Booker doing and their Booker, shot making yeah. thing, and maybe Aiden goes back to the way he was able to kind of really give Jokic some issues on both ends in, the, in that series two years ago. But these are two different teams too. Like I don't mm-hmm. want to overemphasize that series at all, but definitely stuff to take away from it still. It's hard also to galvanize in the short amount of time that they are asking this team to galvanize in. Um, and, you know, with, with KD's injury, it actually makes it even harder for them to figure things out. Learning on the fly in the playoffs in the postseason when one of their matchups might be the Warriors or might be the Clippers or might be the Lakers, it just leaves more room for them to be exploited in a seven-game series. I think the Suns, I sort of agree with you, I think the Suns are a team for next year when they have a summer to figure things out, when they have a summer to... Uh, you know, grab a couple of veterans at the vet min and be able to stockpile their their depth a little bit more. They seem like a team that's pre- prepped to be a you know fifty plus win team next season. Uh, whereas this season, there there are some questions and like, how are you going to be able to in a short amount of time turn into a championship contender? It would be insane to yeah, see, but and I, you know, I think it's it was, it's similar, right? But the uh, I think this Suns team ceiling is definitely higher than than last year's Sixers, but the similar thing, right, where they were trying to learn on the fly after getting right. hardened. Yeah. And I, you know, we were talking a little bit, you know, before we started recording, but, like, when I talked to Tyrese Maxey a few weeks ago, like, I just kind of asked him what's different. You know, you have a lot of the same players as last year, and, you know, kind of what's the, why does this offense look so elite? Why is the crunch time execution so great? And, like, basically it's just, like, like we know exactly what we want to do. And, mm-hmm. like, that last year we kind of learned on the fly. And I, I just kind of worry that the Suns are going to get into some of these pressurized moments. They won't quite know. It's not a fault. It's really tough to, as right. a galvanize and kind of know exactly what you want to do when you have to hit on so little time. But like, that's the reality of these things is like, you have to know what you want to do. And yeah, and yeah maybe, maybe they know what they want to do because it's a simple, let's give Katie a mid post ISO and that'll work. And that could definitely render this entire feel irrelevant, <laughs> but um, you gotta know what, and you gotta know what you want to do on defense too. Like you gotta know like where do you want Katie? Do you want to be in a point of attack guy? Do you want to be in your low man? Like where exactly do you need him? So right. um, I tend to agree that they're kind of a next year team, but I would by no means be surprised if they're in the finals, in the conference finals. You know, given Denver a run for its money at the worst in the second round if they meet there. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's kind of maybe the next two or three years or as long as kind of CP continue to be this kind of third guy. Right. Um, and it also depends too. Like you know, I don't want to speculate, but like. The eight and think kind of like, are they going to end up, you know, could he be dealt this summer? Things like that. Like, how much do they trust him? And I think a lot of that will depend on how he approaches the playoffs and how he looks in the playoffs, you know, to kind of his future. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm on I'm on your line of thinking that maybe more of a next year thing. The Sixers have been a, a this year thing. Absolutely. Obviously, a long way to go for them to accomplish yeah. anything they want, but um, they've certainly looked better with Harden in the fold than they did last year. And he looked better. So it's funny. Yeah, I think that's it's, kind of, kind it's really funny that you mentioned uh, what's different and, and asking Tyrese Maxey what's different because literally today I had dropped something for SDPN saying, are the Sixers different enough this year? Uh, <laughs> and I mean, my, my question was sort of a maybe, sort of, yes. Uh, and we'll see what happens in the playoffs with them. Very excited to see 
uh, how this team looks. I mean, right now they are currently down big <laughs> to the Miami Heat, but that's okay. The, n- neither here it's, nor there. It's, it's they have nothing to play for. They, yes, exactly. It's all done. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jackson, man, you do incredible work. I, I mentioned the Quentin Grimes feature off the top, but again, I'll, I'll mention it again. It, it really, it really is phenomenal work that you do. Is there anything else that you want to plug? Anything that you've got going on right now that you want to just throw out to the audience listening? I wrote a piece on explanation about Corey Kispert, not related at all to the playoffs. Um, he's having a nice year in Washington, nice. uh, despite kind of their own unfortunate vibes and season, but really nice player that, you know, I think is going to grow into a nice, a really good role player for a long time. Rest of them on the analyst uh, this week too, uh, on Trey Murphy, kind of his growth. Now he's helped the Pelicans stay afloat, you know, despite some absences from Zion and Brandon Ingram. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wednesday was a, I had three things published on Wednesday and I'm kind of trying to like save them. So I don't put, I don't overflow people at the same time with three things. Very nice. That's very what I got nice. going. I'm going to have something on manual quickly, um, maybe this weekend as well. Um, cool. So he's having a great year. So I guess it's like a next week for me. But um, yeah. yeah, having a great year. Don't really care about what, you know, the six man of starter debates, but just a really good basketball player. Young basketball player is going to get paid a lot of money and rightfully so uh, yeah. this offseason. Really cool story too. Really, really cool story. The way, uh, I mean, Fred Katz has kind of mentioned it. I've listened to the Knicks pods a lot, but there's there's a lot of cool background to to Quickly's you know story to get to this level. Jake Fisher, if y'all have sports, wrote a cool profile yeah. about a couple weeks ago. So if you want a little more in depth uh, profile, but yeah, if you're subscribed to the Athletic, just hotkey like Fred Katz. I may know Quickly. It's done a few different really cool things on yes on, on Quickly. Um, Absolutely. Just, honestly, like if you like the Knicks, you like good writing, just read all of Fred's work. He's done a really good job on that beat. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Jackson, man, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining us. And I appreciate everybody else who's listened to the Objective Basketball Podcast. Thank you very much. Do the subscribing, the liking, the whatever that you guys do. We appreciate you guys. Uh, From me, from Jackson, we'll see you guys later. Take care. Follow hosts at Just S. Barahini on all socials and at The Lauren Gun on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast. Delivering the NBA to you like no other.